Look at the size of that thing, Doctor. Yes, Jamie, that is a big one. <laughs> oh, God, Blimey. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know where to look. I do. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to episode 2 of the Polish Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock. My name's Lee. I'm Dave. And, well, it's, life's good right now. I mean, uh, we're on episode 2, we had a good response to episode 1. It's been a gorgeous week of weather in Edinburgh, you're looking more tanned in a Manchester United team bus. That's a bit harsh. But you know the best thing of all? What? We're recording episode 2 and we haven't killed anybody, yay! Just this once! Yeah, it's a shame because our bet's on, but never mind. Yeah, we have kind of lost a tag as the most dangerous podcast in Britain now, haven't we? Well, we can go to smash people up if you want, you know. <laughs> find a library that J.K. Rowling lives in Edinburgh, we could burn our house down. You can tell which house is hers because it's got 40 foot high hedges. So posh J.K. Rowling has moved to posh Barton where our friend mm. posh Andy stays. But yeah, she was upset with all the people looking at her big expensive house. So she grew 40 foot high hedges. So that's not attracting attention then, to herself at all. Yeah. That's, that's a sound plan, yeah, that, actually. Yeah, she complained about the attention because everyone complained about her edges. Uh, just let's say, first of all, thanks for everybody that listened to episode one. Uh, we had as many as double figures. I think it's thanks and sorry. <laughs> yeah, we thanks and profuse apologies. Uh, but we probably will do better because we've got two... Well, we've got enough material in this one, haven't we? We've got two stories that can go either way. No, they can go either way. One was good and one was nonsense. Well, well, that's just what I meant to argue anyway. Well, we've got, probably got an easier time about this week because last week we had the Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar, which, yeah. it, on our heart of hearts, mate, as we'll admit, is pretty damn good. And we were clutching at straws trying to find faults. I think I'd quite well find in faults. There wasn't many of Oh, shall we find out exactly how well you done? Bloody tanks and guitars. <laughs> yeah, so let's find out what everyone's opinion means to me. It's nothing. Should I explain if you're listening to this for the first time, and again, we are sorry for this, uh, the next two hours of your life you're never going to get back. Uh, what we do in each episode, we take a classic episode of Doctor Who, an episode from the new series of Doctor Who, put them on trial, and then you decide, based on the strength of our arguments, whether they're guilty or not guilty, and whether they deserve a place in our unofficial canon of Doctor Who. So let's go to the results uh, for the uh, last I'd just week. like to say that last week I was arguing that The Magician's Apprentice was nonsense, and just a vapid, ego-filled malarkey, <laughs> and that the Sontaro, Sontaro experiment potato head adventure <laughs> was brilliantly written and acted. Okay. So let's see what the public thought. Before I reveal the votes, I think we should, we should point out that we take votes on email, Facebook and Twitter. Now, we're going to have to discount the Facebook uh, votes. Why? Well, we only got one vote uh, on Facebook for each episode. Was it yours? Uh, no, it was you. Oh, fair enough. I don't know how you think you were going to get away with it, because your profile picture appeared next to the vote, so I'm going to discount that. I was just joining in. That's just... You can't vote <laughs> for was, your own argument. That's I was not following the crowd. <laughs> I think you'll find that you can vote for your own argument. Even MPs get a vote. 
Well, yeah, okay, that's true. But I'm still going to discount it anyway. I'm, I'm going to well, go hard and put in charge of this dictatorship, so you won't <laughs> discount it. So much for democracy. So, right, let's reveal the vote. Episode one, we had uh, The Magician's Apprentice, The Witch's Familiar. I had seven votes in total. Nice. Which it's, is seven it's more. Odd, it's an odd number, so that means we're going to get a result. Seven more than I was actually expecting. So let's go. Uh, right, the results. Guilty. 14% of the vote. So not guilty. 86% of the vote. So, Shocking. Yeah. Off Most the hook. People know nothing. Off the hook. Uh, no crimes against Doctor Who. So that uh, is technically canon. Steve's pointing at something out the window. What have uh, we got? I was pointing at ducks flying past. I've got ducks. Yeah, they've gone now. Sorry, this probably isn't visual enough for a podcast. You're going to have to be a riff here. We're looking out the window at nothing now. Yeah, there's a nice nothing. How many ducks? That was three. Was it three ducks? Uh, two male, one female. Can you tell from this distance? And they flew just up to the house, so I could see the colour of their heads. <laughs> hey, <laughs> what can I say? More from some David Attenborough later in the programme. I'm attentive. <laughs> Which is actually what they've named that boat. That they were having ah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Boaty McBoatface. Yeah. That's just weaseling out, isn't it? Boy McBoatface won the vote, so they named it after Attenborough and named one of its sun vessels Boaty McBoatface. Oh, okay, well, that's, that's listening to the people, even though it's not, you know, it's the no, completely disregarding the original. That, that's choice. rubbing the people's face in it. <laughs> that's look at what you could have won on a grand scale. <laughs> yeah. I don't know they named it after Attenborough. Mm. Oh, I just knew about the vote initially. Well, I don't, it was I his the 90th result. birthday the other day as well. Oh, that's true. Still not dead yet. Not yet. But I've got time to kill him. Working on it. Maybe yep. for episode three. <laughs> So, uh, Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar, is off the hook. Centaurian Experiment was the second episode we done last week. Bit of a closer vote this one. Potato Head Adventures. Yep. Seven votes again. So we're going to get a result. Awesome. Do you want to wager what you, what you think the direction of the vote went in? I think the people agreed that it's a fantastic piece of the genre. Okay. Except for a genre of nonsense you put it in. <laughs> and I think they'll have gone four to three. That's oh, oh, you're close. You're close. I'm not going to work out the numbers because it's in percentages and I can't do maths. So, guilty, 29%. So, not guilty, 71%. So, that's, uh, yeah, also goes into the canon. Goodness. Not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Yeah, right. <laughs> Having watched what I watched today, mm-hmm. the Santana experiment is much better than I thought it was. Comparing it to the two doctors. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's but more, more on that in a while. Yeah, well, we'll come to that later on in the second half uh, of the episode. Shall we get on with the first? Oh, actually, we should probably uh, do what every other podcast uh, about Doctor Who does. Um, we should uh, mention a few things that have happened in Doctor Who over the Doctor last couple of weeks. News. Absolutely nothing at all. Hee-haw. We've got a rumour about John Barrowman coming back for the Christmas special. Yeah. John Barrowman posted a picture that he was in Cardiff, mm. and that was about it. So naturally, people on the internet didn't jump to conclusions at all. Oh, no, he's not at all in the new Star Wars film. <laughs> so, what part do you think he'd play in a Star Wars film? If you could cast John Barrowman. Um, if I could cast John Barrowman, I'd be into the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> not a fan? No, he is. I am a fan. I've recently rewatched all of Torchwood, and he is quite good. Captain Jack is just a nonsense character, though. That's a fair point. But I... I would have him playing against type I would have him playing a straight man <laughs> an actual I'd, I'd go for almost like a semi-fascist militaristic straight man just because it would be 
not what anyone would expect. I, I'm just sitting here waiting for the punchline. You could see no. John Barham is going to be a straight man. No, I think he could do it. He's a good enough actor. Did he not play a villain in some other series? Arrow or... I'm sure he played um, some sort of villain in another series. I think series. possibly, yeah. One of those Marvel DC comic book money funds yeah, that they keep coming out with in the States. But I, I haven't watched that if he did. Yeah. I'm sure he could do it. I mean, I don't doubt his talents as an actor. There's better actors than John Barrowman, let's be honest, but I'm sure he could pull it off. Well, David Tennant was in Jessica Jones. Playing an evil, evil bastard. I've not seen it yet, so no spoilers. I've not seen it either, so I've seen no spoilers one, given. So I will be watching it. So apparently he's going to be in the Christmas special, uh, based on absolutely nothing apart yeah. from a wee trip to Cardiff. Based on the fact that he was nearby when they might have been filming something possibly-ish <laughs> in Cardiff. Not at all a tenuous connection. Yeah. Uh, what else has happened? Two weeks. Oh, oh, yeah. The small matter of a new companion being announced. Yes, the reveal. Yeah, at halftime of the FA Cup final. You know, semi final. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no. no. It was the semi. We weren't the final though. Um, <laughs> yeah, Dave. Dave, for the record, is a Manchester United fan. I got daggers for that joke about the team bus. Uh, no, you got throwing bottles just like the team bus. <laughs> um, yes, there was a. I still don't know why they did it at that point. Well, I think it's kind of a smart move though, because you're going to get a big audience. Maybe not entirely your target audience. Cause There's very little crossover. Half time on an FA Cup semi final. Fine, it's a Saturday night, but who's watching the FA Cup semi final that's also going to watch Doctor Who apart from possibly me? Before you mention it. And me. Yeah. Okay, maybe there's not a great deal of uh, crossover between the two, but it's a smart move. It gets attention to the series. It might drag oh. a few people in that might not have uh, necessarily bought the Doctor Who in the past. I know it's only a two-minute little scene, but yeah, it's building up interest for the new series that starts at some point <laughs> in the future. Well, spring 2017, apparently, so about a year from now. Yeah, I could see if it was starting the week after. Yeah, because then it would be really good advertising for what will be on at the same time next week. Maybe unless they change the scheduling and knock with the timing again. I suppose a hand was kind of forced though because if they're going to start filming I think they should start filming next month um, so if they're going to be doing outside filming then it's going to get out so yeah as well from, even as a year in advance from what I've heard she's in a play until early June yeah she's in the curious incident of the dog in the night time fair enough maybe John Barman will sub for her stick in a wig don't. <laughs> I don't think even John Barman would go that far 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 I'll edit that bit out Maybe wise. I don't have to. So, uh, yes, she's going to be playing a character called Bill. Yeah. And I've heard rumours that it might be set in the 80s, the first episodes. They give that impression. Oh, they give the impression that she's from the 80s. Yeah. But I say it, they give the impression. That's idle speculation on the internet. Yeah. Which can be taken as cast iron fact, as we all know. <laughs> that's somebody looking at the jeans she's wearing going, that's 80s jeans. Yeah. She I have those from Topshop. <laughs> and next thing you know, suddenly the whole thing's set in the 80s. And they're bringing back Margaret Thatcher. The happen? No, no, the happiness patrol. They, uh, what do you call it? I'll need more. Oh, no, 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 no. There was a happiness patrol. Had a character called Helen A. That was supposed to be based on Margaret Thatcher. Quite possibly. Uh, Many people have been based on Margaret Thatcher. I think Davros recently. <laughs> Better looker though. Yes, he yeah. was. Less dead. Yes. Well, slightly, slightly less evil as well. Yeah. Didn't really have a hand in, you know, beating up miners or shutting down steel plants or, you well, know... Introducing poll tax in Scotland and destroying many, many industries across Britain. So Davros is a bit of a good bloke in comparison, really, yeah. isn't he? Oh, Davros <laughs> old, 2016. Good old Dave Ross. So, yeah, nothing else much has happened, no. really. I mean, uh, I mean, they're filming class, but let's be honest, nobody really cares about class. That is going to be the new Sarah Jane Adventures. 
and that many people know that it exists and we'd probably get around to watching it at some point if they had their 12 year old nephew visiting yeah. but never actually will it's one of these things I think it's going to go onto BBC3 as it is now uh, the online channel uh, I think the, the deal they've got with BBC3 now is if it gets shown as a new sort of commission a new series on BBC3 it has to get shown in BBC1 or BBC2 at some point yeah. so I'll probably uh, probably get a small audience because it'll get stuck on about half past eleven on a Friday night or something. I'd um, imagine. Maybe because is it not meant to be for a younger audience? It's geared towards a younger audience, yeah, towards the youth. So I'm thinking that when the football season finishes and they're looking to fill that match of the day Sunday morning slot before <laughs> the religious nonsense, but before everyone gets up as well. <laughs> it's match of the day, not the religious nonsense. Yeah, but once the season's over, there's nothing to show until the European Championships kicks off. About five days later. Yeah. Not that I'm complaining about that. I'm absolutely fine. Well, there will be that slot in the early morning when they repeat the Saturday night stuff. But there would also be when Saturday Kitchen gets cancelled because James Warren's left. So that'll be a whole two, two and a half hours of <laughs> Are you not a fan of the irritating presenters? No, I actually watch that much of it because they all annoy me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the man's going to be busy. He's got to be writing his new Sontarn episode with Bob Baker, as we exclusively revealed last week. So, yeah, yeah you know, he's going to devote some time to that script writing process. See, the thing is, with a name like Bob Baker, you have to write from the Sontarn point of view. <laughs> So we're in classes you can be bumped around the schedules. Um, Unloved, uncared for. It's like the McCoy years all over again. Probably, yeah. yeah. It's probably going to be really good because the people that are involved in it will actually care. But I don't think I'll get the viewers that it needs to keep going. Yeah. About, I'll end up getting killed. Yeah. There'll probably be a little spike of interest because I mean, set photos posted uh, on Twitter over the last couple of weeks of the TARDIS on set. So probably some sort of cameo from Peter. Maybe. Maybe. Probably, yeah. Because he would probably want it to succeed because he's a nice man. Yeah, and a massive, rabid Doctor Who fan. Yeah. Which well, even more of a good egg. Just because he wants something to be good doesn't mean it's going to be. Like our first subject today. <laughs> Shall we get on with the first the first yeah, of our two episodes? Because that, that probably sums it all quite nicely. No, it doesn't. Would you, would you like to attack the fantastic Doctor Who episode or would, would you like me to see what's good about it first? Let, let, let's go for it. Well, we probably should introduce what it's going to be first. Uh, yeah, go for it. For our first episode uh, for, sorry, for our first uh, Doctor Who episode of this podcast it's a school reunion from series 2 excuse me colleagues a moment of your time may I introduce Miss Sarah Jane Smith hello Sarah Jane K9 that is correct me? I'm that man in Havana I'm the technical support I'm oh my god I'm the tin dog Uh, originally aired on the 29th of April 2006, remember when Doctor Who used to be shown in the spring? Yeah, the good old days. <laughs> Written by Toby Witters, directed by James Hawes, and the viewing figures for that episode were 8.3 million people. That's a good number of people for a Saturday night. It was, and it's still in the first flush of Doctor Who, riding that first wave of, you know, it's back, can't quite believe it, and it's great, and everybody's watching it, and it's entirely popular. Yeah. And so do you want me to tell you why this is a good episode? Go on, I'll let you start because I'm gonna I'm not gonna really talk about it too favourably, so I'll let you get the nicey nicey stuff out of the way. Well this is a good Doctor Who episode because it's a good Doctor Who episode. <laughs> it's got if you got a notepad and a bit of paper and a pen and wrote down what you want in a good Doctor Who episode, this is it. Right, okay. It's got aliens, it's got scares, it's got the chase scene, 
It's got the doctor being cheeky. It's got a bit of humanity. It's got a bit of social awareness. It's basically a good Doctor Who episode. It's got the guest star. Mm-hmm. It's got Anthony Head, who is just, why did he agree to be in a Doctor Who episode? And also, why not? Well, I don't see any reason why not. I mean, it's, like I said, it's riding that first wave of success to the point where when they were casting for series two, people wanted to be involved. There wasn't any hedge in the debates to see if this is going to flop. Yeah, but all he'd done in Britain was coffee adverts 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was the gold blend guy, wasn't he? Yes. Ah. And then he'd gone to America and he'd made Buffy and he was a massive star in the States. As that bloke out of Buffy. You know, his real name. <laughs> the British one. Yeah. And then he comes over here and he plays basically a, a soulless villain. And I have said this in the notes. He doesn't act at all. He shows no emotion. He doesn't do anything. He is a plank of wood. Let's not back here. <laughs> right, okay. I, that's a bit unfair. I know he doesn't really get a, an awful lot to work with. He's in it very fleetingly, really. Yes, he's in it. He's mostly in scenes on his own, mm. talking to the air, which he does quite well. He's very well enunciated. Which <laughs> is most of the time he's talking to his fellow bat people, mm. who are special effects. So he's talking himself. He's got nobody to work with, so that might be a reason why he's a bit dry. But he's very good at it. Right. He's very alien with his body language and the way he speaks I'm going to right I'm going to ask the question because it has it's going to get asked at some point here right do you think Anthony Head would have been a good master yes I'd say so as well but not for David Tennant's doctor um no I think John Sim was a very good master for David Tennant's doctor well see that's the thing they have to Every, like I said last week, every master has to reflect the Doctor playing guest to some it? degree for it to really work. It's the light in the dark. Yeah. I mean, like John Perry and Roger DeGuado, both suave, you know, swashbuckling gentlemen. Uh, you've got, like, David Tennant and John Sim, both got a sort of manic energy to the way they play their respective yeah. roles. So, yeah, I think, I think the head could have worked with Christopher Eccleston. Probably, yeah. Relatively detached, quite cold. Mm-hmm but very, very involved when it comes time. Yeah, he would have been great. Bit of a missed opportunity, and he is kind of wasted in this. He well, he's completely wasted yeah. in this. But he plays the part to a T. He is meant to be dark and detached, and he is. He is unbelievable as a human, oh. to a large extent in this. Like, he is, as I say, notice, he is a hammer-era Dracula. He is slick, but he, he could almost wear a cape. <laughs> and you would actually see it working. <laughs> Anthony Head, the John Perry cosplayer. <laughs> yeah, but I think the only reason they wouldn't bother putting him in a cape is because it would hark back to Buffy. Now, see, I've never watched Buffy. So, is he the sort of moustache to the lean, cape swirling? No, and Buffy is a good guy. And, right, okay. And Buffy, he is the, the older man who guides the young teenage slayer into the ways of slaying. He is the the calming British influence against the gung-ho Americanness, which he was perfect for and he was very good at. Mm. But I can see why they wouldn't want him to be too similar in this, because it's set in a school much as Buffy was in the early days. Yeah, it's not too long after the fact with Buffy either. I mean, that was only finished a few years before Doctor Who came back, really, didn't it? it was Probably, yeah. yeah. Worth being included, though, just for that scene in the swimming pool. They almost sort of spaghetti western... Put a bit of any old miracle over the top of it, yeah. you've got your showdown there between him and Tennant. Which is probably the best scene in the entire episode. 
Oh, come on, that's cold and heartless. <laughs> okay. All right, okay, what was a better scene than that then? They bring back canine. This whole thing oh, is. Canine. As you quite openly say, it's the advert for Sarah Jane Adventures. It is. It, that, is that is how I would sum this episode up. It's one big pilot for the Sarah Jane Adventures. But there's nothing wrong with that. The Sarah Jane Adventures was almost Doctor Who for kids. Well, it was, yeah. It was Doctor Who for and kids, yeah. What's wrong with Doctor Who being Doctor Who for kids? I'm not saying there's anything wrong about it. All right, I'm not slating the Sarah Jane Adventures, right? It was absolutely fine. It was very entertaining. Might have got more kids into Doctor Who. And, you know, Sarah Jane deserves her own spin-off anyway, regardless. But it's uh, just... Uh, it's, uh, my problem with School Reunion, right? And it's... I know the Russell T Davis era is all sort of big bold colours and everything's ramped up and turned up to 11 which is fine but this has got a bit of a sort of and I don't want to sound sound insulting to CBBC but it has got a bit of a CBBC feel about it I think it's probably because it's set in the school yes and you've got a lot of child actors so that doesn't really help much the original idea when they wrote the scripts first time around it's going to be set in an army base effectively the same sort of plot Uh, but uh they all have decided for whatever reason, you know, Russell T. Davis said, I want it set in a school. Um, probably because of Sarah Jane. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if he set it in an army base, this probably still could have brought back, like, the Brigadier. There would have been some element of, you know, oh, okay, we've got to set it in an army base, what are we going to do? Oh no, we'll bring back unit. So yeah, then you get the Brig and. But if they did want to bring back Sarah Jane, this was the perfect way of doing it. Well, yeah, I don't know if that decision came after they decided to shift the location to the school or. If she was involved from the start I'm not entirely sure the timeline of this but a, a lot of it does fold around Sarah Jane in a really nice way mm-hmm. because Sarah Jane brings in a lot of the stuff about the Doctor as you say it was still open it was still new Doctor mm-hmm. so there's still a lot about him and the character that we needed to be reminded of almost so when Sarah Jane first sees the Doctor as the Doctor instead of Mr Smith you can see the fear and the pain on her face because she remembers this man that she once loved who left her when she finds the TARDIS in the gym yeah yeah. and she turns around and he goes hello in fact I take back what I said that's probably the best scene in the entire thing so now you've got two best scenes just in this one episode I'm, I'm, I'm kicking the swimming pool into second place I'm relegating Andy to head as a scene here now but because, I don't know if that's just because it appeals to the fanboy in me that here's this returning character it's the first time we've seen anybody from the old series. Yeah. But, but actor-wise, apart from the yes. characters like Daleks and Cybermen yeah. coming back. So there's that bridge. Anyone that we recognise as a face. Yeah. And it, it acts as a bridge between the classic and the new series. Whereas it might have felt a bit separate up until this point. They're saying, look, you know, this is Doctor Who. It's a continuation of the whole thing. It's, this isn't a reboot. This all links back to you yeah. know, 1974 and Lovers of the in it and it's a nice bridge between sorry that was a cat that's just jumping past the microphone in case you're wondering what that was but it's actually a nice bridge so yeah it is yeah yeah that's that's one one thing that's favourite and it's one for the viewers as well because the viewers remember when the doctor when they were younger Hmm. and the doctor was scary and the doctor was exciting and now (laughs) and now they, this is the new doctor for them ah. and he's new and exciting and he's fresh but they, the viewer can still remember the fear they used to feel when they watched Doctor Who and the excitement I never thought of that what Sarah Jane experiences the viewer will experience if yeah. they're of that era yeah Okay. Yeah. yeah. so it's almost a, much with K9 mm. 
They bring back K9 and then they blow him up and then they bring him back again. Well, that's probably the best thing they could ever do with K9. They've done it once, it should have stayed dead. Yes. Alright, don't get on with K9 at all. I can see why he's popular, I can see why people like him, but he's just a glorified Sonic screwdriver, isn't he? He's a jumped up Mickey. He's <laughs> <laughs> a tin dog's tin dog. See, there's the thing, you've, you've already changed which of your favourite moment in this episode. What about when Mickey realises that he's the tin dog? Do you know what? Maybe not so much in this episode because he's got something to do. Um, I I feel sorry for Mickey for most of the series too because he just gets a raw deal. Yes, he does. I mean, he's the tertiary companion. Yeah, I mean, but you look at the two episodes after this when they go off and it's there, it's a rise of the Cyberman Age of Steel, and he gets treated appallingly yeah, by does. the Doctor and those. And I mean, that's why series two is probably my least favourite. I like the stories. The stories are fine, right? And it's, you know, yep. still exciting enough. Oh, gives you memories. This was Doctor Who. It's, it's back and so on. But I like David Tennant's Doctor up to a point. I like Rose. But when the two of them get together, it was moida. They're just awful, awful people when they're on screen together. They just get so arrogant and just fool themselves. And yes. that's probably intentional because it's probably building up to the end of the series where they get separated, they get hoisted by their own petard because they get too far ahead of themselves and they have to pay the price for that. But poor bloody Mickey. I mean, come on. The guy gets a really, really rough time off them. Of course he gets a rough time. He always gets a rough time. That's what he's there for. But he's sort of proven that he's more than just the village idiot in this episode. He obviously notices there's something going on at school, no. puts the doctor nose on to it. He, with a little bit of help from the tin dog, works out that he can break into the school using the car. So, you know, he's getting things to do. He's... Yeah, but he's come to the realisation that he is the tin dog. That's all he does. Right. Whether it's getting turned in a plastic rubbish bin. <laughs> or Oh, please, don't. It's still too soon. Or running up and down a corridor and then screaming like a girl because he finds a rat, as he does in this episode. <laughs> Actually, that is one bit I do like. I like the joke about the pigtails and the skirt. I know it's still the doctor being a dick to Mickey, but it is funny. Yes, but that's all they do to Mickey the whole time. Yeah. This starts out, Mickey's character starts out with Rose going away with the daughter coming back a year later and Mickey getting really upset because he was accused of probably kidnapping and murdering his girlfriend. Yeah. So Mickey is always the whipping boy. That is his role. Hmm. But in this, he realises that he's the tin dog. His character growth. So I think that's good for Mickey. <laughs> Doesn't lead to much. So, uh, his character growth. So the destruction of his confidence is good for Mickey. Um, break him down and build him back up and it's something stronger okay that's true well he does come back uh, stronger once he leaves yeah uh, in the next couple of episodes and he comes back and he's a gun-toting hero if you think about the endless endless tenant goodbye mm-hmm. Mickey's a warrior dressed in all black carrying a gun and married to Martha yeah the lucky bastard <laughs> basically that's what you would want for Mickey oh yeah but that's what I mean because he's gets such a rough time off of them you want him yeah begin to champion him you want him to become the hero to have things work out for him and it, yeah you're right they do in the end yeah like he starts the whole the whole series he starts off as Rosie's safety net mm. like she's the boy he'll end up with if she doesn't find a footballer to marry <laughs> and by the end of it he's married to a hot young doctor who's also a really good warrior and is also so big criminally treated by the doctor everyone is yeah the doctor's not a nice man because no. he's not a man he is an alien if Rose was to marry a footballer 
right? I know we're kind of drifting back into football here, but <laughs> right, if you if Rose are going to marry a footballer, which footballer would it be? I want to see if you get the same answer as what I'm thinking of. Which footballer would it be, or which footballer would she deserve? Why not go for both? I Let's think she would deserve to marry Joey Barton. <laughs> okay, right. I think she would really be married to somebody like Jamie Vardy. Soul of the yeah. Earth came up from the streets, did well for himself. I'm thinking she's probably going to end up married to John Terry. No, I think she's going to be married to Jamie Vardy, sleeping with John Terry. <laughs> but a by the by, but she does she does look very well in this episode as a dinner lady. Well, that's what you you said in your notes, and that this is yeah. that could have been the career she was faced with if she'd never met the doctor. Well, she's working class, basically bugger all education, short attention span. Yeah, I could see her being a twenty-two-year-old dinner lady. We should, we should point out at this point we're not saying that all dinner ladies are ill-educated, selfish twenty-two-year-olds. No, um, <laughs> just getting that out there in case there's any listening. I, I used to be a professional chef. I've worked in many kitchens where people have got great educations and are really intelligent. And I've also worked with people who are just fucking numpties who like knives. <laughs> but I think that she could end up. Like her character arc could have ended up as her having Mickey's kids being a dinner lady in the school because it works for raising children. And I could see that being her character arc if it wasn't for the doctor. Like if they ever did an episode where it was an all in a universe where she'd never met the doctor, that's where she could have ended up. And it's not a big break of character to see her as a dinner lady eating chips, whining all the time, and not doing her actual job. <laughs> Which is what she gets in trouble for in this. You mentioned the chips there, right? This this is where I think it just gets a bit flimsy, right? It's not much of a plot to hang the episode on, right? Some kids are a bit too intelligent for their own good and it's oil and the chips. Oh, there's it's next a bit, to no plot in this. It's a bit yeah. weak, I mean. Oh, it's very weak because in a commercial kitchen, you put the oil in the fryer and absolutely everything gets deep fried in the same oil. <laughs> So it wouldn't be, oh, we must have the chips. They are special. It's a specially designed chip diet by our new headmaster. I'd be like, no, yeah, you can have chicken nuggets and chips, or you can have turkey twizzlers. Or we don't care. Just eat fried crap. <laughs> I like how we're trying to give analysis to this episode, and you're pulling them up in the cooking methods in a fictional kitchen. I'm not, but mass catering is the same all over the world, largely. And yeah, they might have a vegetarian fryer for all the chips and hash browns and any other vegetable nonsense they cook but the oil being special would mean that most of the deep fried stuff that they did would be done in the special oil so it wouldn't be the chips that would be special and I know it was the whole menu was designed by the headmaster so all of the food could be special and make you hyper intelligent but yeah it's a very thin one yeah I mean, it's not right. Fair enough. It's not the entire basis of the episode. The episode's about Sarah Jane and Kanan coming back. That's yeah. Maybe it's a device to bring them back, but it could have been something a bit, a bit better. Something a bit more than a threat and a couple of you know intelligent nerdy kids that are going to bring down the universe because they've eaten a lot of chips. Yeah, but also, one of the dinner ladies spills the oil on herself and burns herself. Mm. That screams and then possibly has to be put down in a cupboard by the sounds <laughs> of it. But they're cooking chips in this oil. So why is this incredibly hazardous to aliens oil? Which obviously has some weird active ingredient. Being used to cook chips and nobody notices. Well it's poisonous to the crillotines apparently. Yeah. So obviously it's like something lethal to their race that doesn't affect the human 
genetic makeup or, you know... Yeah, or, or enhances the human brain. Mm. So there's 13 of these aliens. <laughs> okay. Five of them are dinner ladies. Uh-huh. Who the fuck wrote this planet take over the school? Because <laughs> I, I have nothing against dinner ladies or anyone in the catering trade. But if you're going to take over a school, dinner lady is not the place to start. So you start from the top, really, wouldn't you? Yes. Or at least near the top, deputy head. Yes. Worm your way in and then take over. To start with the PTs because they really run the schools, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, th- there's 13 aliens, so five of them are dinner ladies, or right. four, because they are carrying the barrel. Now, in a school that has this many staff in the kitchen, 13 people wouldn't be enough to take it over without anyone noticing. And if the school's that big, why not get some of the non this shit's going to kill us dinner ladies to empty the oil out of the fryers? Oh, that's smack of clear planning. Yeah, it does. I like you say, like, well, I noticed you've written in the notes, that they spend the night sleeping in the school. Yeah. 13 big, massive, quiet bat people hanging well, from the ceiling, and yet nobody, not even a cleaner, notices when yeah. they're in. And fine, the head might lock his office, but I did put in the notes that they walk into the room, and the doctor's the only one to notice these bats hanging from the ceiling, which means the ceiling is person height plus person looking up height before you notice the bottom of the bats. So, this is like the only school in Britain with 15 to 20 foot high ceilings mm. which doesn't make sense <laughs> you would open the door and be staring a bat in the face if you were lucky because if you think about it if you nailed a human to the ceiling <laughs> by their feet well, welcome to the dark turn of the podcast folks there would not, be, not that Dave's ever done this if you did that there'd be a lot of screaming and a lot of blood probably unless you killed them or knocked them out first you've heard but then their head would be three feet off the ground. So You're giving a lot of scary accuracy here. If they were actually sleeping hanging from the ceiling, their heads would be rubbing on the desk. Right. You would notice that from the outside because there's a glass panel in the door. Okay, so that's one thing that doesn't work. Yeah. That's a definite big misstep. But I can forgive that because it's a good episode. Yeah, I mean, I want to like it. There's because it's because all these elements because it's Sarah Jane coming back because it's K nine, and you know you don't want every episode of Doctor to be serious and arc heavy and laden with backstory. So this is a nice little sort of palate cleanser before you move into the, the episodes and series two that are going to advance the whole arc yeah. and then you know lead up to the finale. But uh, it's just it's just things in it that just stop me from liking it. I'll tell you the main the one thing I've got the problem with above everything else in this it's an argument scene between uh, Rose and Sarah Jane where they're having the big argument you know yeah. I was with the doctor first you know I've seen you know X and Y is this y. the one where they end up laughing at each other because they're so stupid and he's so brilliant or the one before that when Mickey goes oh the X and the Mrs in the room is <laughs> not me and Mike and he's Danny Dyer style <laughs> didn't punch anybody no he didn't yeah uh, no, no, this is the second one with are in the lab arguing about, you know... Well, it's just those two alone talking yeah, about it. but that's... That doesn't set me off me, because that's not Sarah Jane, right? Sarah Jane's a sparky, intelligent companion who wouldn't argue with some, you know, selfish 19-year-old teenager about, you know, I was into him first, you bint. Yeah. You know, that's not Sarah Jane's character. Sarah Jane's never been up for the hipster fight. <laughs> She's never been in it for the doctor, love. She's in it for the adventures. 
but it just doesn't sit well with me at all. It's because it's so out of character. And I understand they're trying to go for the, you know, the angle of you know, the bitterness and the hurt of being left behind and him never coming back for her. And you can see how that might rankle with her, but to get into an argument with bloody Rose Tyler about you know, well, I I done this first. I was there before you, Hen. But it's been what twenty five years since she was with the Doctor. Uh, yeah. Call it roughly 20, yeah, 25. Yeah, so she's suddenly getting all these feelings back when she was young and excited and doing all these fun things mm. with this guy. And now this guy's got somebody else that he's doing fun things with. And it almost belittles her memories because that means that she wasn't, and everything she did wasn't special because he just keeps doing it. He doesn't care. But surely she knows. I mean, she comes along end of the third Doctor so she must know that she's not the first companion but she was special <laughs> can't say she wasn't special in her eyes in her but eyes she, she was special well do you find it because when she she comes on board and then six episodes later Harry Sullivan turns up and they go off and travel so she's used to sharing the Doctor she but must know she's not the first she's had the time of Harry and the TARDIS so it's not all about her and the Doctor and you know she Right, I'm gonna. I hate myself. So I'm gonna throw the continuity card into the hat here. She turns up in the Five Doctors, and I know it's not strictly Come down ad- adhering. <laughs> that might as well be. It's not strictly adhering to the oh, whole of Doctor Who, but yeah. she. It just it's not Sarah Jane. I just I don't see that as Sarah Jane Smith having an argument with a teenager about who is in him first. It just doesn't sit well with me. I can see what they're trying to do, but it doesn't work. I think if you view it as an argument of Sarah Jane trying to own her memories of the Doctor, Mm -hmm. then you can see her trying to keep hold of what she had as a youth. Okay, well there is that side too, yeah. But, yeah, it's a very childish thing for a 40-odd-year-old to mess the journalist (laughs) to do, even though she's got a a robot dog in the boot of her car for no apparent reason. How long has K-9 been in the boot? But it looks like probably that with those 25, 30 years. Since she stopped working. There's, a, there's some scene. <laughs> like, who actually stores broken electrical equipment in the boot of their car on the off chance they'll run into an alien that can fix it? Yeah, I mean, it does look, it does look as if it hasn't been working for some time. I mean, much like John Leeson when uh, Kenny got written out. Yeah. But, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, right, I'm going to pick up on something. We've been asking for people to submit their thoughts and. Uh, uh, their evidence for or against the episodes on Twitter and Facebook uh, Crip- now, I'm going to get his name right this week because I didn't the last time it's Cripple H rather than Crippler like I said last time round apparently some sort of wrestling reference you'd probably know nice yeah 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 I get that yeah, explain it to me because I don't um, understand Cripple H was a wrestler um, Hunter Helmsley Hurst I think his name was alright so he was a big wrestler who shared his name with Triple H I believe he married Stephanie McMahon whose father owns the wrestling right so yeah I get the Crapple H reference yeah oh, okay that's a nice reference I like that one <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is he says that school reunion is an episode that's more concerned with nostalgia than any actual story it trots out the old harnessing the power of a child's mind story and mixes it with remembering the good old days it's got a point there do you think this episode gets away with an awful lot on the strength of nostalgia yes I would agree with that wholeheartedly it's one of the things that makes it a good episode ah yeah. because it's it's not a particularly good story it's pretty much a pointless story mm-hmm. it doesn't move anything forward doesn't add anything to the canon there's nothing new in it 
but that's one of the good things about it. It's a fast-paced, exciting Doctor Who story, and that's all. Which is, in some ways, what they used to be. Mm. It's, let's just tell an interesting story about aliens taking over a school. The end. Not, oh, let's have a big, overreaching arc about, all oh, this is going to end in the future, and, oh, we're all going to split, and the Daleks are coming back in bad world. <laughs> There's none of that in it. There's none of the... Look at what I can do nonsense, or oh, you didn't know a reference back to this. I, I, I think you're right, I think it does coast on nostalgia an awful lot because if you take Sarah Jane and Kitty out of it, you've got a really underwhelming Doctor Who episode. Um, yes, like many Doctor Who episodes, it would be far too long without the nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, because it's Sarah Jane, there's an awful lot of goodwill involved because she's the fans' favourite, she's or the majority of fans' favourite, and there's also K9. Yeah, but Kane's rubbish. Let's be honest, K9 is hopeless. Yes, K9 is hopeless. <laughs> so, so I can get you on that at least. K9 is a Dalek without the energy and excitement. <laughs> it's not even like starting, it's warm slightly. That's another thing that happens. Like K9 becomes the hero of the story, and then so Sarah Jane gets pushed into the background, and what's effectively her story. K9 becomes the hero of the story by sacrificing himself for the Doctor, his master who despite the fact that he hasn't seen for 30 years he still loves and will obey much like a faithful dog would is all for the Doctor for K9 but you know if I get an episode where they, bring, they make a big deal of bringing back an old character especially a favourite one like Sarah Jane Smith that you should give her the blind share of the action towards the end and let her create the solution to the story and be the hero rather than getting shoved into the background by the tin dog um, I would have done it differently I would have had the same ending, but differently. I would have had K9 asking Sarah Jane if he could make the sacrifice. And Sarah Jane saying, yes, because you've been a faithful friend to me, K9, do what you must. (laughs) I would show her as a character. I would destroy the shitty K9 dog. (laughs) And then they wouldn't have to bring K9 back and ruin the legacy of him sacrificing himself. Because he does. He makes the ultimate sacrifice. And then the daughter goes, ah, fuck it, let's build another one. <laughs> Got a few parts in the back of the TARDIS. It kind of ruins it. Uh, I still think he's ruining the legacy of K9 and company by uh, being in this. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's because you've got a strange device for K9. I just, uh, like I said, it is just a glorified sonic screwdriver. I don't care. I don't like the dog. <laughs> right. Alright, so uh, what else can we cover? I mean, we've talked about Sarah Jane and K9, the Krillity and Xanthony Head. Uh, We should probably look at what else Triple H has written because he's given us a fair chunk like he always does with these things. Um, I remember liking School Reunion when it was first screened during the carefree days of 2006 when David Tennant was finding his feet. When you lead up to a series finale was Loving Monsters and Fear Her, I had a charm, I thought to myself, isn't it wonderful how they've harked back to the show's past? Looking back, it's probably the only thing worth recommending. Yeah. So I get some of that old school, see what I did there, who fans were up at arms about the returning show. It's a different format and pace to the previous years, and the cold light of day it had to be. Uh, school reunion represents Russell T. Davis throwing us some scraps out for the rabbit horns who keep the faith over the last 16 years of the wilderness years. Scurry about school kids having their intellect boosted by oil and chips so that an alien race can take over the planet is very much secondary to Sarah Jane finding the Doctor again and K9 getting a dose of WD-40 to come back into action. You can see why she had her own spin-off show not long after this. Uh, it seemed to be in the days when everybody was getting their own Doctor Who shipped that spin-off show. 
Uh, RTDC said he often wanted Doctor Who to be like Buffy the Vampire Slayer upon its return, and it's never been more obvious since having Anthony Head gunning it up for the camera and becoming a bat. Maybe Sarah Michelle Gellar turned it down. Um, she, she probably would. Well, you, th- but the whole Buffy alumni being in Doctor Who stuff hmm? isn't a surprise because you also got Spike from Buffy turned up in Torchwood. Did he? Yes. Can't remember the actor's name, which will annoy me for about the next ten minutes till I Google it. <laughs> Other search engines are available, <laughs> but yeah. So maybe there was con- contact with Buffy alumni, asked mm. them if they wanted to be in it. But Anthony Head's a British actor, mm. and I think after Buffy, he was doing British theatre work anyway, so he would have been available. But yeah, there's there's good points in there. It is a different format from previous years, but when I was watching it. I think I was watching it one evening, having a couple of drinks, and I paused it at one point when it seemed right to pause to get another drink, and it was literally halfway through the episode. Right. So you could actually have split this into two 22-minute episodes, much like the old ones were. Okay. It's almost a two-part story. So what would be the halfway point then? What would, what would be the cliffhanger if you're stopping it at 22 minutes? Um, I can't actually remember off the top of my head. I need, I need to test that out and see if it can be split yeah. into two parts. But it came up at a certain point and thought, now's a good time to get another drink, and I paused it. <laughs> to help me through the rest. And it was 22 minutes in, 22 minutes to go. And I thought, that's quite interesting. That it came up as a natural stopping point. Which is maybe another nod to the past. Mm. Because they used to do it that way. Possibly so. Yeah. So overall then, if you're going to sum it up, why should School Reunion not get jettisoned from Doctor Who history? Why is it deserving of a place in our official, unofficial all-time canon? Um, because it is a Doctor Who episode. As I <laughs> said at the start, if you write down everything you want to be in a Doctor Who episode, you pretty much get it in this one. You don't get much more, you don't get anything new, but you get a Doctor Who episode. I don't know, you've, you've maybe got the component parts of what you'd like in a Doctor Who episode, but yeah. it maybe doesn't deliver on that. Yeah, but if you... Yeah, it maybe doesn't, but it maybe does. You've got the big explosive ending, you've got the cliffhangers, you've got the fear of the aliens being alien and weird, you've got the reunions, you've got a set in a British location which is easily filmable and cheap, because that's traditional Doctor Who. <laughs> you've got the side stories, Sarah Jane being back, K9. It's got everything you want in a Doctor Who episode. Maybe not the best ever. Mm-hmm. and maybe not done to the best of their abilities but as a proper Doctor Who episode okay well, I'm still t- I'm still standing by my my phone I mean I, 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 like I say I want to like it I can see where it's good in places see why other people like it but I think it's too flimsy a plot it's too reliant on nostalgia it's too reliant on Sarah Jane and K9 being in it if you take them out you're left with not much really it's fun it's an entertaining watch. It's inconsequential, really. It doesn't add or subtract anything overall from Doctor Who, yeah. which is fine, because not every episode of Doctor Who has to advance things or hark back. That would be the perfect episode for the first of a series. It's got that feel. It's got that feel of a Russell T. Davis opener, Yeah. where the plot is very much secondary to the character that yeah. you're introducing. And anything that's going to get harked back to later they'll mention it later anyway yeah. so you can just enjoy the story I wonder if that was maybe the case then if that was maybe intended as a series opener oh no well no, maybe not because David Tennant's first season yeah so yeah but maybe that's why it's pushed towards the front of the series yeah 
played in the new Doctor. Yeah, and have a familiar face there to help disguise him. Maybe he's still trying to find his feet, like they had with the well, older generations, where you know try to bridge the gap. If I... she does say you're him, yeah. So yeah, I guess confirmation that he is the Doctor now. Okay. Well, I realise I'm probably not hiding to nothing because I fully expect the vote to go against me when it goes up on uh, the, the polls on Twitter. But yeah, I still think it can be. It could have been much more. It could have had a more interesting plot. It could have had a bit more drama to it. And, you know, it's fine, but it's a bit meh. And for that reason, I don't think it should be included in the canon. I think it should be... Uh, I, I think we're arguing the same points for opposite reasons. <laughs> Largely. Yeah. We have to for this, really, don't we? It's a bit meh, and it doesn't add anything. But I think that's what's good about it. Okay. Well, all the public decide that. Well, the public, our 12 listeners decide. Shh. We'll make it. We get more. Uh, so, what we'll do, we'll put this up to a vote. Uh, if you decide uh, that uh, School Reunion is worthy of being put in our unofficial official canon or not, what you can do is you can email us at the postbox at googlemail.com, voting guilty or not guilty. We'll put the Facebook page, uh, we'll get the poll up on the Facebook page and a poll up on Twitter. And uh, you can decide. We'll reveal the results in uh, the next episode that we do in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Like I say, I, I think it's going to go against me, but you know, you've got to try, haven't you? You've always got to expect that you're going to win. <laughs> the doctor might be on your side, then you'll win anyway. Even if he has to use his sonic fucking sunglasses. <laughs> or his sonic tin dog. Yeah. Right, shall we wrap this up and up then? Yeah. Do, do, do you want to say anything in defence? You've got any favourite scenes or favourite characters in it that you want to add to? Um, I, I do like the scene where the doctor's all teary mm. talking about Sarah Jane saying I couldn't stay because you can't see the ones you love get old but you can stay around for as long as you want Rose because meh <laughs> which, which is unfair to Rose and it's not often that I'll say that mm. because by this point she's been hanging around the doctor for a year and a half of our time don't worry on his time so she's a companion and she's a long serving companion and now he's talking about somebody else going, yeah, I care about her, but you, meh, don't care. <laughs> Give it a couple of years, love, I'm going to pack you off on a beach with my genocidal clone. Yeah. See ya. But, but I can see why the Doctor would say that to a new companion, but she isn't. Mm. She's relatively new to him, but he is older than Tenet, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like, she's been around the Doctor for a year and a half. She's been around Tenet's Doctor for ten minutes. So I think it's unfair really funny when you see <laughs> so you feel sorry but no sympathy whatsoever yes yeah okay oh. that's good that's how it should be oh she deserves it for packing out the chips and not doing it <laughs> right <laughs> let's get that wrapped up then uh, I, mean, I, I, I think I've already said what my favourite scene is uh, twice yeah twice yeah so there's no point in repeating it so uh, we'll move on then like yeah. I say cast your votes let us know what you think uh, we'll reveal the results next episode and uh, we'll move on to our classic series episode after we've had a bit of a break because uh, yeah. you need another beer you're sitting with your empty big cobra there yeah and you're sitting with an empty glass as well so it's not just me yeah so we'll get some drink to go with the food which is uh, appropriate because we're going to be talking about a uh, classic series episode that's a wash with meat and yeah more potato headed sometimes don't do that you'll frighten the fish I think your doctor's worse than mine tea time already nurse I do not understand just as well face like yours was made for laughing.
Rosita. ¿Dónde vas con mi carro, Rosita? Usted sabe que te quiero. Pero usted me quita todo. Ya me robaste mi televisión y mi radio. Ahora quiero llevar mi carro. No me haga así, Rosita. Ven aquí. Hey, usted que es al lado, Rosita. Oh. Hello everyone, welcome back to the second half of episode 2 of the Polis Box. Uh, we're going to be talking about one of the classic series episodes that's going to be quite divisive from what I've just heard Dave saying off microphone. Uh, we're going to be talking about the series 22 classic, The Two Doctors. Uh, episodes 7, 8 and 9 of series 22 uh, was originally broadcast on the 16th of February, 23rd of February and the 2nd of March 1985. Written by the legend that is Robert Holmes and directed by the lesser legend that's Peter Moffat. Viewing figures are 6.6 million for part one, 6 million for part two, and 6.9 million for part three. Dave, you're going to be uh, against this, aren't you? Yes, and I am. By oh, quite well, some considerable distance. Yeah. I'll I'll let you go first then. Uh, no, I went first last one. Okay, well, I, I defended you, so you defend All right, okay. All I'll right. be back on the air in about 30 seconds. Before we do so, I should point out, uh, in interest of transparency and honesty, I'm going to let you have a little window into the recording process. Uh, we record this on a Thursday night, so, you know, end of a sort of longish week. We have a few drinks while we're doing this. Uh, I'm sitting here with a sort of mug of wheat beer, you know, just, just the one. Dave, however, my esteemed co-host, has uh, three bottles of beer and the yeah. remainders of a big bottle of Cobra right in front of him for a 45-minute recording. Yes, I'll be honest, I got through just over... 1.2 litres of Cobra for the first episode this evening and I have three bottles of Stella in front of me and the small remains of a packet of Jelly Babies that we only opened two minutes ago. There you go on the time lash that's how it's done. That's drinking. But that's fine I'll be honest after watching the two daughters I needed to drink. <laughs> and it's not stopped since. Alright well I'll start then as soon as you started the last one. Yep. I am going to be honest I when we drew this last time round I wasn't confident I was going to enjoy rewatching this. I've not watched it for some time, uh, up until last week, and my hazy recollections of, of it, I didn't like it. There are certain things that I still don't like about it, but watching it over the last few nights, I've changed my mind completely. I've gone from not liking it at all to thinking it's probably the best the Colin Baker era has to offer. I'm, I'm not arguing with you, I'm just letting you flow. Okay, right. Uh, well, where can I start? I mean, right. It's written by Robert Holmes, probably the best writer that the classic Doctor Who ever had. And that's to its benefit. Most of the way through Series 22, you've got Colin Baker coming in the row. Yeah. And the character of the Doctor's been devised as being prickly, unpredictable maybe a bit volatile, which he is. He tries to strangle Perry in his first episode and, you know, sadly unsuccessful in that attempt. Uh, most of the way through the first half of his season, he's cowardly, he throws her into the path of danger, he's, you know, shirks away from, you know, being the hero, maybe yeah. because he's unsure of himself, because he's unstable. Uh, they act like a bickering couple all the way through up until this point. Because Robert Holmes has written this episode, he's quite skilled in doing double acts and all the episodes he's written and because of that he's written well I think because of that he's written the Doctor and Perry as a double act 
so instantly there's a bit more warmth to the relationship. They seem quite pally, still a little bit of needle. They're still, you know, having little digs about, you know, you know, Christopher Columbus has got a lot to answer for because you know, Perry's in the third, she's American. But it gives a different, a different view of their relationship, and it because they get on so well, it carries the story a little bit better. Uh, but overall, it's like it's a great episode. It's got some of the best location footage probably the Doctor Who's ever had because they go off to Seville, filming in a foreign country. Uh, this thing actually does fit. It's not like, you know, when they filmed Ark of Infinity of Amsterdam and they spent 20 minutes chasing Peter Davison around the streets with Fresh Crispies on his face. It's ties in with the story. Even in the interior shots, even in the locations, sometimes you find yourself questioning whether that is actually a real house they're filming in or an actual set because it's lit really really well unlike most of the you know, 80s Doctor Who it's lit like a light entertainment show it's just really really well made and that's surprising because it's got one of the most uninspiring directors that Doctor Who's ever had to balance out the best writer Peter Moffat who's one of these like, safe pair of hands you know gets the job done but without any sort of artistic flair or, you know, thought to make the episode exciting, you know, see Richard Martin. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's good. That's, it's got that going for it. The story's a lot better than I remember as well. And I know it's, it's really heavy handed because it's. I don't know whether you noticed, but throughout, <laughs> throughout the entire episode. Can, can I just check which bit you're going to ask for noticed? The complete massive anti Scottish thing going on. Didn't with, pick up on that. With but, um, everyone being in a skirt and ginger. <laughs> or the pro-vegan message. I was going to go down the pro-vegan route. I don't know why you picked up on that. And I, and I know you're not entirely uh, fond of a pro-vegan stance. So well. um, That pork that you had for your dinner didn't kill itself, eh? Yeah, well, uh, that was tasty pork. Um, yeah, I noticed the pro-vegan thing and it was far too heavy-handed. I think it was probably in a hiding enough nothing after the first five minutes and I thought this when I was watching it. Where uh, Troughton and Jamie bump into Shockeye. And there's a line about chefs uh, having too high opinions of themselves. Now, yeah. is uh, that a former professional chef, would you like to uh, comment you, on that? At you'll, all? you'll find that a lot of professional chefs don't have high opinions of themselves. It's just they have much lower opinions of everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> everyone else is scum. Yes. <laughs> no, chefs are scum, everyone else is worse than scum. But that's well, that's fair enough. That's that's a balanced uh, balanced view. But so that that's your defence. It's the best in this series. It's part of my defence. It's definitely I still I definitely think it's the best the Colin Baker era has to offer. Most people would say Revelation of the Daleks or you know Vengeance and Varos. Truth is, there's not really a lot of competition. And so you also think that this story is worth the two hours <laughs> that they took to tell it. Uh, okay, maybe it's a bit padded. Maybe it goes on a little bit too it's long. It's massively padded. It could do with trimming down. This could be done in 40 minutes to an hour, and even then it would be padded. Uh, mm, I, you could argue for it being two parts. Yeah. Because what you have to remind yourself is this is the series of Doctor Who, and they had 45 minute episodes. Yeah. Albeit a reduced episode count because the BBC hated it and wanted you to kill it. Yeah, but this this was massively, massively stretched out. Right. There was no need for it to be two hours long. What do you feel they could have lost then? See, that's the weird thing. I don't know. Mm. The main takeaways I had, because I rewatched this today, and the main takeaways I had from it were it was far too long at two hours. 
Okay. Because there's not enough story there for two hours. And there's almost too many stories. Because you've got the two doctors, the two companions, you've got the people experimenting to make time travel possible, mm-hmm. which the Sontarans want so they can go, go back to fight their war, which is going on at the moment anyway, so why do they need a time machine? And you've got the doctor who's experimenting on people to make them smarter mm-hmm. instead of just being cannibals. You've got the other cannibal who's almost comic relief. Shokai. Yeah. Yeah. Who's just like, oh, I'm going to eat that. This would be nice if you smoked it. No. <laughs> if there was actually a society where they ate absolutely everything, it probably wouldn't exist for long because they'd eat absolutely everything. And they'd never trust each other because as soon as you fall asleep, somebody's going to cut your throat and eat your liver. Mm. So they wouldn't make it to space exploration and being experimented on by mad doctors. You're right, he is definitely the sort of... And I think it needs the comic relief. I know, I know it's a pretty it's a pretty grim, dark story. It's, uh, it's the one that I noticed that was really dark, like you've got cannibalism, torture, all sorts of abuse, human experimentation, and they just make light of all of it. Because it's an evening entertainment show. It's definitely a it's definitely a Robert Holmes script. He tends to have quite a lot of dark humour in his uh, scripts. But then it's amplified by Eric Sayward being the script editor, who always wanted to take Doctor Who in a more adult direction and make it a bit darker, make it a bit more violent. But at five thirty on a Saturday evening, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to, I don't want to come across this in like Mary Whitehouse here, right? And I'm You're really not. No, I'm dressed like her, but I don't want to come across like her. I've got no problem with violence in Doctor Who. I think there needs to be violence in Doctor Who to make it. St- to make it scary, to make you know, fresh to the doctor seem more real, but this just kind of does go too far. I mean, there's stabbings for a start, like pretty fairly graphic stabbings. Oh, it, it, yeah, it's a stabbing. I think you're talking about the restaurant owner. I'm talking about that. And who's auditioning for a rider? <laughs> yeah. like, I agree with you. The Spanish stuff was great. You oh. actually, they looked like and felt like they were in Spain. Mm. And the Spanish people were actual Spanish people. Yeah. It wasn't like the Santana episode where it was random South Africans putting on Geordie accents. Middle Dark Maria. Yeah, it was actual Spanish people speaking English. Yeah, I mean you spent a lot of time in Spain, so you're a bit good judge of this. Yeah, that it was Spanish people speaking English. Hmm. But I don't know why they had to have the Spanish restaurant run by an Englishman who collected moths. Like that yeah. was just almost surreal. I think when you said earlier on they're padding it I think yeah that's fair in the last episode it gets maybe about 10 minutes in it and as soon as uh, Troughton's turned into an androgum then it starts becoming a bit more of a sort of bloated sort of chase Carry sequence on, Hill. yeah sort of you know running around and but yeah, just the off-handed murder of that lorry driver <laughs> which is back to the violence that they just throw it out kill that guy quite, quite how you manage to kill somebody by hitting them in the, in the lower back with a twig uh, is you know, I, I, I don't see how they... but that's all that, that's how they knocked everyone out in this and killed people right. I was always reaching over and just hitting them and somewhere behind them <laughs> like the surprise would kill you you're right actually shock eyes attempts to yeah. uh, brain people are that's stagey at best yeah you can maybe see it working if you're 60 feet away. You can up the television camera. 
don't believe in contact with those things at all, do you? No. I'm going to stop five feet away from your neck, and nobody will be able to tell. It'll be fine. But the whole English man, his whole character didn't make sense. It was almost mm. like they were adding characterisation for somebody they knew were going to kill, just so they could have the pathos at the end of it. Yeah. And the doctor saying a stupid line about <laughs> being dead. <laughs> the whole scene's a bit stupid. I mean, Oscar and uh, his assistant, I can't remember her name right now, they, they don't really need to be in it, do no. they? No, There's not really right. much point in them being there. Um, the part of somebody guiding them to the villa, which was just over the next hill, wasn't mm. needed. Mm. You could have quite easily had smoke. There's smoke over there, let's go look over there. There was no need for the whole him collecting moths thing. That was fucking nonsense. <laughs> um, I, there was no need for him to be looking to get a job with the foreign office again, or whatever it was they discussed. Right. I was like, I don't know why they're treating me like this. Oh, maybe they gave you another chance, Meester. <laughs> and it's nonsense. And it will just make the character seem a bit more rounded. Mm. And there's no need for him to be all into his amateur dramatics. Yeah, his definitive Hamlet that never was yeah. after getting stabbed in the restaurant. Because the amount of characterisation and character building they did didn't make me care for him any more than I would have otherwise if he'd just been some random restaurant bloke that got stabbed. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that would have worked better because, like I say, you don't need them there. And, you know, if there's going to be a stabbing at the end, fine, stab the waiter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> hey, he was the manager. <laughs> so, well, no, I, don't, I don't mean Oscar himself, but, you know, if you take those two out of the episode... That scene, you can still have that scene. You can still have it have the same effect. Yes. You know, it's still a pretty ruthless murder of somebody. It doesn't have to be a character that you've been introduced to a couple of episodes before. Yeah. To make it shocking or, you know, yeah. for it to have any impact. If it, you know, if it had just been a random attack on a character has been there for five minutes, it still would have worked. Which would have been an easy ten minutes he can cut out. Mm-hmm. But then the doctor doesn't get to see his line when the guy dies caught in Hamlet. <laughs> what was Lane again? I can't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head either. It's not the it's not the worst not the worst line of the lot. No, it's not. It's in no way the worst James Bond almost rip off line oh, when he somebody dies nonsense. See, right, I know I know I like it, but that's that just winds me up, right? And it, people are always bang on about vengeance and varus as I've seen in that with the infamous scene with the acid bath where he's wrestling with the guards, they fall in, right? A bit you know, it's insinuated by Colin Baker Hayes, or oh, the sixth doctor pushes him in. It's not the case. One of the guards is already in the bath, reaches in to try and grab the other guy to get yeah. him, pulls him in as well. And there's a lot of sort of James Bond this quick. You know, you know, forgive me if I don't join you. Yeah. You know, very flings his jacket over his shoulder and climbs back up the ladder like nothing's happened. He does it again in this, where he, getting back to the sort of the brutal violence thing that doesn't really need to be there. He spots the cyanide from Oscar's moth catching kit yeah. on the floor and rather than think of a clever way to try and get rid of Shokai he gets a lump of cyanide in his hands yeah. and smothers the guy yeah. and he falls to the floor and what's the line he comes out with we've got it written down somewhere he said oh, oh it's like he had a case of gas or something like that that's it you're just desserts Shokai I mean right yeah. that's a pretty poor joke to start off yes. with but it's given in that sort of you know, knowing almost wink to camera delivery it's just no you Hard don't, you don't need to do no you're a douchebag yeah, yeah, yeah you're dressed as Coco the bloody clown and you know don't try and do smart arse quips and when you've just killed somebody and you're arrogant for no good reason well the, do- the sex doctor is a lot of unpleasant traits but 
I quite like the fact that the Sixth Doctor is a bit of an arsehole. Especially towards like Perry when at the very beginning of the episode when they're on the fishing trip. Yes. And he they go back into the TARDIS and he's swinging his umbrella all casual and then Perry's staggering in with armfuls of fishing equipment and rods sticking out all the place. Yeah. And he doesn't even register with him. Why? Yeah, if you get, you're just thinking, goodbye, you carry my things, dear, you know. But there's later in the episode where she suggests that you should go out doctor, you should get medical help and he goes what are you talking about? Yeah, don't be stupid, I'm a doctor. <laughs> and then he goes, maybe I should get medical help. That was a good idea of mine. He just comes across as a dick. Yeah. And, and lowers... The doctor's always meant to have been incredibly intelligent. Hmm. And that lowers the amount of intelligence that he looks like he has. So it reduces him to a sort of snarky, miserable arse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was saying earlier on about the first half of that series. There's not the sort of warmth between the doctor and Perry. Where he does come across as a genuine arsehole, yeah. and he's pretty nasty towards her, and you know, there's no sort of connection between the two of them. No. They just seem like two people that are trapped together, that don't want to be together. Yeah. Whereas with Robert Holmes's talents as a writer, he writes them as a double act. They come across more as a sort of bickering sitcom couple in this. There's an affection there. Yeah. That they actually do like each other, but they're still a little bit there. of edge. Yeah. 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 But you know, that. No, the killing of Shockeye, right, fair enough, Shockeye is a nasty piece of work. It deserves it, probably, he's, more than likely, but it's the line. But he's it's not that quip. nasty. Mm. Well, I suppose he's, uh, he's indulging in his sort of passions for meat, isn't he? He's not he's, a ruthless killer, he just wants to. He's an to. animal. He's doing what animals do, he's eating. Mm. And fine, he's more refined with the way he has his food, but he's still just eating everything, which is what his people do. Yeah. He's not necessarily torturing people although he does torture Jamie later on because <laughs> it makes the meat tender <laughs> but he's he's not torturing people for fun mm. he's torturing Jamie to make the meat better he's killing things so that he can eat them he's preparing a meal he's not having fun mm. he's doing it because it's what he needs to do Yeah. so he's not evil he's maybe misguided because he should have like held Jamie up by the ankles and cut his throat and bled him a bit. <laughs> Aged up for 14 days, that kind of thing. At half past five on a Saturday night. And everyone knows that the fear makes the meat taste bad. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, but, yeah, I mean, you put it like that, that makes that scene seem even worse. If yeah. he's just misguided and he's just doing what feels natural to him and what he it's, intentionally believes he should do, then he's just like killing some misguided individual and then it, making a stupid joke it's a sociological drive mm. to kill and eat like when the doctor sees a cat when he's half turned right oh. and he goes oh there's more than one way to cook a cat yeah there is <laughs> but there's like you're in a Spanish village there's going to be pigs chickens <laughs> right. you've got more menu options really alright they're in Seville so it's not really a village <laughs> but as you say, I've spent time in Spain, and that's one thing that really annoyed me. The Doctor's travelled across universes and galaxies. Mm-hmm. And he's been all over Earth, he's been all over the planet, and he's starting to turn into something that really craves food. And he's in Spain. So he says, I know what I want. Shepherd's pie. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that's what I've got to say to that. <laughs> no, not, not paella. Not like chorizo. Not, not the tasty stuff. Not wild boar. 
you know, proper good high quality meat. No, shepherd's pie. A nice bit of lamb mince. It's effectively the English tourist that goes to Spain and instantly seeks out the pub that sells egg and chips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they said that when they were looking for them, they said, oh, there's just loads of tourists in there eating paella and chips. Uh. So there's people in Spain eating Spain's almost national dish. How dare they? <laughs> And the Spanish love chips as well. I know we've only done two episodes of this, but I've not seen you more angry than this. <laughs> Is it the chef line must have really rankled you, putting you in a bad mood for the rest of the episode? Um, it's the enforced vegan message mm. and the disrespect to Spain. It's and, and the fact that I'm a bit of Spain sick at the moment, probably. <laughs> You're right about the enforced vegan message, because even with the last couple of lines of the episode, it's kind of not even subtly kind of brought on it's like uh, when we get to this uh, we'll get to Cameron's comments in a minute but it's uh, subtle they have a sledgehammer really isn't it oh we're going to have to go on a vegan diet after this yeah it's like foreshadowing Mel turning up with her carrot juice please tell me doctor no more fishing no no more we'll be on a healthy vegetarian diet no you fucking won't <laughs> that's no it I'm thing. off <laughs> I'll tell you what else I'll about this episode and you can put these two in any episode and it'll become a favourite of mine and I'll love it and I'll defend it Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines the Doctor and Jamie my favourites if you take any Doctor any companion I'm going to pick those two yeah because they're just brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah they are I'm a little bit unhappy how they've sort of turned Jamie into a bit of a stab happy asbo magnet in this one because you know Jamie I'm not, I'm not suggesting there's not depths to Jamie's character but in the original run he's kind of like you know the almost the comedy Scotsman he's the yes. one that's slightly dim gets into trouble Thanks he's a bit of a smart arse you know he's quite you know quick the quips and but he, he's just he's going around like stabbing people in the leg and you know where would you want him to stab them? <laughs> I wouldn't want him to stab anybody at all then you're not a true Scotsman <laughs> <laughs> that's, that just doesn't really fit with me I mean it's I, it's in keeping with the tone of the story I know but no they do have a far better relationship than the other two like as a doctor and companion mm. relationship theirs is much closer well they were the doctor and companion were the best of friends really yeah they're like two mates you know bumming a bit universe in their racket old police box of a great time yeah yeah whereas yeah that, it might be that Perry is different because she's American but she never seems to want to be there yeah like she's almost just waiting for her left home and realise the party's over she's essentially a more whiny Tegan because Tegan was like that she stumbled into the TARDIS taken away by accident and for the most time that she was on Doctor they were trying to return her back to Heathrow back to her own time yeah but you know you you could tell she was enjoying the experience at the same time as well where you get the impression of Perry she does not want to be there no it's all. a bind and it's a chore for you know pursuit constantly thrust in danger and yeah. mistreated at the end of this when they each come back into their own tardises the daughter and Jamie are like after you no after you no after you <laughs> and they're just being cheeky and funny with her whereas when it's the doctor and Perry they're like after you no after you almost like they don't want anyone behind them mm. there's no that trust and respect comedy going on so yeah, I'd uh, agree that the Dorf and Perry are not great Doctor and Companions, but... They're watchable, Doctor and Companion, but 
they're, yeah, they're not they're not mates really. They're they're just there because they've got no other choice. Yeah. Yeah, she's there for the eye candy, and he's there a blindy in the <laughs> other eye. But but yeah, that's a lot of this was lazy. Like they spent oh, okay. all this money going to Spain, mm-hmm. filming in Spain, but oh doctor, it's getting really warm in here. The computer's trying to cook us. Neither of them are red in the face. Neither of them are sweating. The doctor's still got his shirt, tie, waistcoat, and coat. <laughs> like just. Just made her say, "Yeah, you're right. It's getting warm. Take his coat off." <laughs> like it's not hard to add to the believability. And it's going, "Yeah, it's getting real warm in here, isn't it?" Yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just, just listen my collar ever so slightly. Yeah, that's better. There we go. Yeah, never mind. Five. I've still got fifteen layers on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of it that that it wouldn't be hard to make more believable and easier. Mm. I think there's a bit of a trend in 80s Doctor Who they go on these expensive foreign location films uh, filming expeditions to record certain episodes the original plan for this uh, is that John Nathan Turner was trying to get him to go to New Orleans to film uh, (laughs) to to film an episode there Uh, you know supposedly trying to tap into the sort of growing American fan base there and give it a little boost (laughs) squeal Perry squeal (laughs) <laughs> but they uh, obviously the budget didn't stretch that they couldn't get the money to go to New Orleans funnily enough so they settled for me but there's a lot of that that goes on through 80s of Doctor Who where it does feel sometimes especially with things like Ark of Infinity where the locations don't really add anything to the story or the feel of it that it's just kind of an excuse for John Nathan Turner to have a bit of a holiday oh yeah the fact that it was in Spain added nothing to this no it added nothing what was particularly Spanish about it? Far the fact that people were Spanish. Okay, all right. Okay, I, t- I take that point. But compared to something like Ark of Infinity, or I'm trying to think of somebody else that's been filmed on location, City of Death doesn't count because that works really well in the context of the story because it fits in with what they're doing. They're going looking for you know missing art and craft spaceships and whatever. Uh, yeah, okay. But that's, 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 I think it's. You know, it's good location filming. It adds something to it. It's a bit of it doesn't really add flavor. Yeah, you don't think it adds the fact that they're in Spain. It doesn't actually add anything to the story. Maybe it's because it's a novelty factor that you're that used to seeing Doctor filmed in British locations, like you say. That when they do go somewhere and it's a well-made story like this one, then you maybe look at it a little bit more favorably. Yes, but they could have filmed it in Norfolk. And the doctor could still have gone, oh, oh I want Shepherd's Pie. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be after Paella in that case, wouldn't it? Always looking for the things he can't have. Yeah, but it, like, uh, it was well done filming in Spain, but I didn't see the point, need, or reason for it. Yeah, it's Other definitely a reason. Holiday. Yeah, it's definitely a reason, just cause we can do it. Yeah. Which is fair enough. I mean, if you're. If you're the producer of Doctor Who and it's not looked entirely favourably on by the BBC and it's got a little bit of waning popularity in the UK, yeah. you're going to try and take it to other places. So yeah. It's a, you know, a, a wise enough move by John Nathan Turner. He's trying to rescue the show by giving it to you know other fan bases and trying to build its popularity around the world. And sure, the proper growth that'll keep money coming in and they can keep making it. Yeah. That's Which, fair enough. Unfortunately, didn't turn out to be the case. I mean, it was during the broadcast of these episodes that it was announced that it was going on hiatus. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to give it a little years. rest, said the BBC, who hated its guts and wanted to cancel it. Yeah. Until, you know, 
overwhelming public opinion and said, no, no you don't. I think I find it was five years after overwhelming public opinion said, <laughs> no you don't, if not more. <laughs> but I, 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 I've really changed my opinion on it. And I think it's probably because I've not watched it in such a long time, but maybe read other people's opinions and maybe sort of taken that as the truth of you know what this episode's all about. Now that I've watched it with a fresh pair of eyes, I've not seen it in so long. I think it stands up pretty well. well it stands up pretty well, but it's far too long. Mm. Far, far too long. There's nothing in it. And it's really, really, really heavy-handed with the vegan message. <laughs> the Suntarans don't need to be there. No, they start. don't. They don't really contribute anything. They're just there as a sort of foil for the the plan of the, uh, the Andrugums. That yeah. could be any monster chucked in there. That could have been, I was going to say Cybermen, but you try putting somebody in a Cyberman costume in 30 degrees in Seville, they'd put out 16 dead during the fo- course of the quite film. Funny, <laughs> Doctor, why is the Cyberman collapsing behind us? Yeah. So they don't really add anything, but you know, I'm not a big fan of the Santarans anyway, because I don't think they're a one note character. Oh, they are. But I was thinking this, the Santarans, right? Mm. World, like, massively good warriors, and invade planets, take them over. They, they're never actually in charge of anything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, the Santana experiment, he's like some scout reporting back to head office. It's always the underlings, you see. Yeah. Yeah. And this, they are trying to get back to the battle. And the newer episodes of Doctor Who, they're fucking butlers. <laughs> <laughs> like... Where is this single-minded determination to take over everything? Don't be having a go at strikes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Jelly baby in the mouth. Themed snacks for this podcast as well. Is that what you're calling it? Jelly baby in the mouth. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. I'm still chewing. But, but yeah, the Suntarans are wasted. Because you never see more than three of them till the new Doctor Who's. Mm. They're not that scary because you can kill them with a cork. By sneaking up on them, yeah, they they could be much better. Yeah, you must have seen them ones or two. Is an invasion of time? You get a sort a sort of Santana army, but that ineffectually you don't yeah. really think them of any sort of threat. Yeah, and you know it's kind of like, like I said last time about the Daleks. They start off strong, and in a sense, just diminishing returns after that because you run out of things to do with them. Yeah, because they're one note characters. Yeah, so you know they could easily just parachute any other sort of. Why not just invent a new villain? A new monster that might you can maybe mould to fit the story a little bit more. Yeah, yeah but they didn't need one. Yeah. They, they were trying to build a time machine anyway. Right. They didn't need a reason for the time machine to get used. They were just trying to build a time machine. They were trying to get time travel. There was no need for this in Tarrants. Ah. They had nothing except random threats and frustration when nobody does what they're telling them to. God damn it! <laughs> I'm in charge. <laughs> I'm field commander. You must come with me. I was here first. Yeah. Let me use the time machine. I've got the stripes on my shoulders. That means no. I'm in charge. I want to experiment on the doctor next. <laughs> no, don't take him away. You never let me go first. That's all the Suntarans do. In this episode, that's all they do. They're the alien Perry. They just whine and bitch and moan. Yeah. I know I think about the Suntarans costume and I know it's probably been a mean, bit mean picking on this but the costume design's hopeless the collars that don't even fit and I, I, that's probably maybe practical because they're filming in 30 degree heat 
you don't want a tight fitting collar and a tight fitting suit and you don't want your actor to pass out halfway through a scene um, there's ways around that though a tight fitting suit underneath anything that they're wearing could keep them cooler because mm. if you get cool air trapped between the layers then it takes a while for that to heat up yeah but you don't really notice it when they're face on in the camera but when they turn sideways there's a big sort of gap of about let's say about a foot or so with this collar overhangs yeah and it just looks it just looks rubbish really yeah it looks like they're wearing a collar it looks like a thrown together costume it's going to yeah. be cobbled together at the last minute yeah it, it doesn't look like a suit of armour it looks like they've got a collar on yeah and I don't know why they wear such a big suit of armour anyway it's all fitting as you say <laughs> they've just got no style well I don't know what the point of the collar is I because they've got the hole in the back of their neck that they yeah I was going to say that's the only thing I can think of that justifies the collar being there it's but, probably some sort of breathing mechanism for different atmospheres or what, yeah that, that's another piece of nonsense in this episode <laughs> the doctor accidentally hangs himself on a noose and then says oh as soon as I saw there was a threat I just shut down my respiratory system yeah <laughs> does he? I don't remember yes. um, just before they find Jamie the doctor's oh, doing right, some right. Work. No, no, that, that's when he gets gassed by the uh, yeah, defence mechanism and he yeah. falls onto the wires. Oh, is the noose later? Uh, There's a bit where No, he... you're, th- you're maybe thinking of Time Lash when he gets, he's got the threat of being hung. No, I'm, is sure, a noose? I'm sure there's a noose in this, and I, I should be, because I watched it today, but yeah. Isn't it just wishful thinking you're wishing Colin Baker would be hung for his part in this? No, because I'm sure Perry runs in and then lifts him out of the noose. I think that's the end of episode one where he gets gassed and he falls onto the cable and blow and she has to drag him down when he's Possibly. unconscious. Possibly. There is, I think the episode after this is Time Lash where he's given the fright of being hung by but, the neck. So anyway, maybe you're yeah. blurring the... As soon as he senses the danger, he shuts down his respiratory system. Oh. Well, how did you breathe? I'll tell you later. <laughs> like, it's just... I can just do that. It, yeah. Which is fair enough if you're, you know, you're an alien time lord. You know, it, it's, you what they invented, it. it's what they invented the sonic screwdriver for. Because <laughs> at least then they could have a thing they could blame it on. And instead mm. just go, well, it just doesn't offend me, does it? Me. I'll tell you what, though. The cliffhanger episode one. That must have been a really tough sell for Fraser Hines. You know, se- you know famous celibate Fraser Hines. You know, going for his interview with his agent, right, we've got you part- back in Doctor Who. You know, I know you want to go back and do it. Uh, the only thing is, Fraser Love, where you're going to have to get you in the cliffhanger episode one, you're going to have to uh, jump on top of Nicola Bryan and wrestle around with her on the floor. Are you interested? Would that be something you'd consider doing, Fraser? Only if it's relevant to the part. <laughs> or not. I am an actor. Just <laughs> give me a pound of butter and let me loose. It was the BBC in the 80s. <laughs> Maybe that's why they went to Spain. To get away from the accusations and destroy all the evidence. Bring me a brown child. <laughs> right. Before we get into two darker waters, even more than this uh, episode. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, yeah. Let's go to the evidence. Uh, Cameron Triple H again has sent us a little bit on the two doctors. Uh, referring back to the school reunion episode, he says, "Speaking of nostalgia overtaking a story, the two doctors is a mess." St- <laughs> no, sorry, mate. No, I'm going to have to disagree with you. No, no, no. <laughs> You have to read it properly. I'm going to read the whole thing, right? A strange, somehow different from what has come before mess, but a mess all the same. It's a story about cannibalism written by a vegetarian, which features the result of a biological experiment to combine the DNA of Gordon Ramsay and Jeanette Cranky in the shape of Shockeye. 
<laughs> There's an alien race have been given ideas well above their station, some kind of brain surgery that means they can be equal to Time Lords and Santarans, because you often need some potatoes to go with all that meat. It's overlong. <laughs> it's overlong, puts its point across with sledgehammer subtlety, and seems to feature constant examples of companions being captured and needing to be rescued. Doctor Who in it. The strangest part is when the second Doctor suddenly becomes a cannibal himself and goes out in the worst episode of Come Down With Me Ever. I quite like that bit. I like when he's uh, standing yeah. in anger drum and he goes off the shock. It's like, you know, Keith Floyd and uh, Oz Clark for Seville. I do the back to the pissed out of their skulls, so you Bring know. me meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also goes on to say, still, it's only a Doctor Who story in which Perry doesn't look like she's freezing herself to death, so at least there's something going for it. He votes guilty. As he should. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to discuss uh, Nicola Bryant's costume? Nope. <laughs> what I do want to discuss <laughs> is the Doctor who did the experiment. Uh, right, the Starry. Yes. But you've seen the Hunger Games, haven't you? Um, uh, Hunger Games is the one with Jennifer Lawrence, isn't it? Yes. That's where my interest kind of begins and ends. I've not actually seen the films. There's there's a guy who does interviews in that who looks incredibly similar. Really? Yeah. Like the same shiny suit costume, the same ponytail but before hairdo, <laughs> and the same glasses. And, and you could almost guess that they based the same like the character's costume on this. I'm, I'm going to have to do that compare and contrast them. Yeah. Put pictures up on Twitter. And, it is really uh, quite strange. I hadn't even noticed that before. Yeah. Right, I'm definitely having a look at that later on. Uh, right. Do you want to uh, respond to Cameron's comments then? Do you want to... Uh, uh, I think he's wanna... right. I think... Gordon Ramsay and Jeanette Cranky, I wouldn't want to see that. <laughs> like, or, like you said, that's a party you don't want to go to. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see that or me in the pub or a dark alleyway or <laughs> any other party where Tommy Sheridan is. <laughs> and the yeah, as cannibalism and vegetarianism mash together as opposites of the same coin, and they're not. Like it's almost like you either eat meat, which means you're going to eat everything, mm. or you're a vegetarian and you're special and you'll live forever. And it's bollocks. <laughs> Putting aside the vegetarian thing, then the story itself. I know he said it's padded, but is there anything that you think that you can say in its defence, or do you truly um, hate it? You really not like it at all. In its defence, not much. No, no. Okay, that's fair enough. Because there's not much story there. You've got lots of things that could be used to make stories like the cannibalism, the vegetarianism, the experimenting on people. You've got all of this stuff. The the doctors, the Time Lords as basically the university's policemen mm. when it comes to time. You've got all these things that could be really good stories. And they're all kind of thrown in there as things that could be part of this story, but actually the crux of the story. Do you think there's a little too much going on in it then do you think it's a case of too many cooks spoiling the broth no because then it would be two fucking hours long <laughs> and that's the problem with it it's it's two hours of things and there's not a story there for me okay there's little bits of stories but okay I, I can see your point but there's enough I think there's enough going on for it to carry that two hours but there's also things that are never explained Right. Why does this doctor stop turning? Like, the doctor's right. turning into this ginger bammer eating kebabs. I think that why that happens is when the. When. Now, I can't remember the exact sequence of events, but when Patrick Trouton stops being an Andrigum 
that stops affecting Colin Baker because it's further yeah, down yeah, his timeline. But why does he stop? It's never because the Andrew Gamelement of Patrick Troughton isn't there anymore. If you explain it in simple terms like that, it's probably not as impressive. But so the time large starts turning that ginger, going out <laughs> okay. and eating all the lobster with his ginger mate. His ginger mate gets in a rammy with a waiter, chibs him, and runs away. <laughs> At this point, the dog goes, Yeah, you know what? I don't want to be a ginger anymore. And stops. Still not ginger. And there's there's no explanation given for why he stops turning. Like they've messed with the doctor's genetics. Mm. And then it just reverses itself for no good reason. I think it's probably the case that they were wrapping up the episode and they only had two minutes left to uh yeah. <laughs> to fill and then let's just drop this pretty quickly. I still think it's because the Trouton Doctor loses that Andrigan power of himself and then it stops affecting Colin's doctor yeah. because they are the same person. But it doesn't explain how it stops working on them. Yeah, well, yeah, some things you just have to accept in Doctor Who. I know. No matter how cobbled together or how first they might seem. But let's be honest, if people just accepted things that were in Doctor Who, podcasts like this wouldn't exist. <laughs> or it'd be very, very short episodes where we'll go, yeah, but you know, it's just a story. Bye. Yeah, yeah, bye. These podcasts are probably be about 10 minutes long if that was the case. And that'd be about eight minutes longer than they should be, but yeah. Yeah, and it'd be much more agreeable for the entire listening public. All dozen All twelve. Of them. <laughs> right. Okay, so you're definitely against it. Yes, I am. I, uh, I'm definitely for it. I changed my mind radically after watching it. I'm not saying it's the best Doctor Who story ever, and I'm not saying it's not got its faults, but it's a lot, lot better than I remember it being. And it's got Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines in it. You must have remembered it as being fucking horrendous then. I think it's probably because of all... uh, It's the Jamie thing. I think because the one thing I remember from it before I watched it again is Jamie stabbing people in the leg. And it's going to... It doesn't sit well with me because that's not Jamie. That's not that character. And I think that's maybe, maybe put me off a little bit watching it again. But then, if you look at the shelves behind you, it's not like I'm short of Doctor Who oh, yeah. to watch. I, I know you're not shelf. So, you know, I've not watched it for because I've had other things that I want to watch instead. But I'm glad I watched it again for this. Because it's made me reevaluate it and uh, I quite enjoy it. I still think it's one of the best uh, the Colin Baker year has to offer. So, I'm definitely pro the two Doctors. Fair enough. I think you're wrong. <laughs> because it's too long, there's no story, and it makes no sense. Well, Dave, it doesn't matter what we think because it only matters. <laughs> it only matters what the audience thinks. So, powers in your hands again, folks. Um, we're going to put a poll up on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, get you to submit your thoughts in email. Uh, vote guilty or not guilty for this one. Uh, we'll give the address and everything out at the end of the episode for where you can go to vote in these polls. Uh, so, yeah, vote. Let us know what you think, and uh, once again, we'll reveal the, the results in the next episode. What we should point out. Uh, when we come to do the next episode, we're going to change the format slightly. We're going fortnightly after this, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We've... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I just I know that not many people have got an hour and a 40 minutes to listen to us drivel on about nonsense. Yeah, life's too short, so we're going to we're going to spare you and trim them down about and pump them out every fortnight. Yeah. That's the plan once I'm back from holiday. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's what we're going to do with it. So let's decide what we're going to do for that next episodes but we're going back to the new series and then episode after that with the classic series and I'll keep going in that vein and yeah alternating weeks yeah alternating weeks classic in use so uh, 
We're going to start with a new series episode for next week. So, Dave, uh, it's time for the Wheel of Justice. As a me that gets to click the spin this week. Yeah, you, oh, yeah, you can click the spin if you want. We're going to go ahead and give it a good uh, few clicks, get it spinning properly. Let's find out what we're going to be talking about in episode three. Wheel spinning. It's stopping. We've got Amy's choice. Dave's face has just fallen. Right, uh, defend, uh, prosecute, or undecided at this moment? Do you want to? Well, what is it? My turn. Uh, my turn to prosecute, isn't it? Well, you can do. Yeah, it's my turn to prosecute and we'll refresh. Yeah, we'll refresh. Remember, it's the Matt Smith episode, series five. Uh, lots of kind of jumping about in time and alternate realities. Uh, Rory's ponytail. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I remember it being a good episode. So, uh, you want to prosecute, and I'll defend for that one. Go for it. Why not? Right, that's what we'll do then. Episode three is going to be Amy's choice for series five, Maximus for series. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing next. Yeah. Uh, like I say, don't forget to vote for uh, the episode we discussed uh, in this episode. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, email. I'll uh, give you the details later on. But that's pretty much it from episode two. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening again. If you're one of the uh, one of the twelve loyals that have. Uh, thanks for staying with us. Yeah, and uh, you know. It can only get better from here on in, really, can't it? We're still finding our feet with this. Who would thought it would go on this long? <laughs> Not us. <laughs> Actually, what we what we should do is should maybe get our friend Paul involved for one of these episodes. If you think you've suffered enough of this podcast over two, wait until we get Paul on here. Well, uh, we are available for having guests, so if you'd like to guest... Yeah, well, we're open to... Uh, if there's any episodes that we mention that you feel particularly strongly about, mm. feel free to message Lee. We could we could do that, yeah. But uh, Twitter, it's, uh, the Twitter address is at the Polis Box. So you know, we have Skype, we have the technology. We could uh, maybe do that. And if you turn out to be a nice enough person, we even have Stella and Jelly Babies. <laughs> that sounds really creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get the pink Jelly Babies, though. They're ours. All ours. So yeah, I've talked in my mouth. That's very rude, but you know, who cares? Uh, we'll see you next time for episode three of the Polis Box. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. Bye.